The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. For the latest episode, myself and Tom Dock were joined by David McAvoy, the fishery and estate manager at Delphi Fishery. It's a fascinating interview with someone who has a wealth of knowledge about salmon and also has some great insights into the success of the hatchery there. Tom, I suppose, like really with Delphi, like since Peter Mantle took over, you know, it was once a crumbling, derelict old house in the late 1980s, but it's really been transformed into such a successful and renowned salmon fishery. Yeah, hi, Darry. Yeah, it has. It's it's amazing. As you say, like Peter Mantle took it over and, you know, the house itself was falling asunder at that stage. And it, it's been transformed, you say, into like one of the best salmon fisheries here in Ireland. You know, it's 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 on the bucket list of nearly everybody. Yeah. And part of that actually has been David, who we get to speak to now, um, who's been there from nearly from the get go. And he's seen it switch from what was once a great sea trout fishery into the salmon fishery that it is now. It's a fantastic spot. Um, like I grew up close enough to it. It's about 40 minutes from me. So I kind of know well enough. And I've been lucky enough uh, to work there and, and to fish there. Um, it's a fantastic place. You, you fished it, haven't you? I fished it, yeah. And again, it was similar. Actually, it was on my bucket list. Um, and actually, I, I did an interview with, Peter Mantle years ago um, when he was still there. And I'll never forget, actually, he was, um, he'd moved on, but he still had his cottage just up. That's right. The cottage the is road. Between, just between Finlock and Doolock. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I have to say, and if, if Peter is listening to this by any chance, it was <laughs> one of the best four hours I spent in terms of we had a fabulous lunch. And he's just such a gregarious, sociable, interesting character. Like, um, you know, he didn't know me from Adam, invited me up. Went into the house, the family were there, the kids, the kids' friends were there. We're all sitting around. It was like nearly a mini Delphi. You know, we were all sitting around the table, brown bread, most delicious smoked salmon. It was, you know, <laughs> glasses of wine. And it was just, and then and then eventually we got on to the actual interview itself. And just, he just regaled me. That's the best way I could talk about, it. like, um, in terms of like, normally when you're doing interviews, you know, you're kind of thinking of the interview structure and, oh, I need this point and I have to get in here and I... I, I, for me, it was just, I just literally sat back and just enjoyed it. Um, and I could see why Delphi became the success it was. And David McAvoy, in fairness, in the interview talks about that and gives credit to to Peter's vision. I think that was it. Because for me, and it's it's incredible what you mentioned, like the, the collapse of the sea threat. So he took it over. And the amount of obstacles, there was one thing I got from the interview with him was, it seemed to be like one obstacle after another. So he'd set this up and then there was a problem, might have been a problem with finance, there might have been a problem with the sea trout. Then at one stage they discovered gold in the hills behind him. Right, I I remember that. And he thought there was going to be a gold mine and then there was like, oh, we've got this fish. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, you know, and then even, um, what was it? There was another story because he was saying like the people were kind of like, you know, who's this, um, who's this Brit come in, like, you know, into our area. And I'll never forget, he was telling me that this would have, because he was involved in financial journalism. Um, right, and yeah. um, between anyway, whatever he decided, you know, he wanted a bit of salmon fishing in Ireland because he used to come over and fish, and then obviously got an idea into his head, and that idea ended up becoming Delphi. Um, but he tells the story like that basically, he what he was able to sell a flat in London in the 1980s for, he was able to buy pretty much the fishery. <laughs> wow, like when you think, you know, like that was recession oh. in Ireland, 1980s, like you know. Sell oh, a flat. Yeah, it was incredible. That, Absolutely yeah. incredible. Like so, uh, like I just think, incre- what an incredible story. And no, then, I, th- I think you're right. You said it there. I I just found him. He's very charismatic. And when I, when I said I worked there, I was telling you like I used to beat there on the the shoots years ago. 
And what I always liked about it on, on, on the final day, uh, when we'd have our lunch before everybody went, everybody sat around the table, guns and the beaters, and Peter at the head of the table. Everybody was, was just, yeah, no, it was great. And yeah. that's one way I got to know David well as well, because David, David ran the shoots there, and they were great shoots, but uh, they were ran very well. Like a fishery like that it has its own atmosphere, I think, doesn't it? Like it's a bit like a restaurant. I think you go into a restaurant if it's run well, you know, people are enjoying themselves, people are happy. I I, got, I always got that sense when I walked into Delphi. There was just a lovely atmosphere in terms of just the proper proper anglers fishery, you know, and really much so, don't you? As soon as you walk in, yeah, yeah you just, exactly. You just kind of know, and you get the feel. Yeah, yeah. and. Feel. Um, so like, so I just think <laughs> there was one last story actually from, I remember even like Peter Mountain saying, so you know, everything, everyone from Prince Charles there, although he didn't fish, he said when he visited, this would have been in the 1990s, I think. Yeah, it I remember been. that. Yeah, and remember he was he doing, was there, yeah. he was doing watercolor painting. Um, and he said the poor, um, the poor army ranger guys stuck up in the hills being eaten alive by the mosquitoes. Having to protect <laughs> Prince Charles. Like, and then he said, and then in years later, Martin McGuinness. Was right. there? You literally had everybody from <laughs> Prince Charles to Martin McGuinness. Martin McGuinness, and, yeah. You know that, wow. that, that summed it up, like you know. But look, I suppose we get on to the interview today, anyway, um, with David McAvoy. And again, it's a fascinating interview. I found just in terms of his information about the salmon and the hatchery, it just gives you real insights. And I think there's a lot to be learned from it. Um, even just and even at the start, I think when he mentions um how catching a spring salmon at this time of year, pretty much the West coast of Ireland is pretty much your, the best place. Place to go. Yeah. And it's funny we're saying that because we never really thought of that, but you know, he just puts it, puts it out there. What, why it is so, and you know, it stands to reason, you know, because yeah. a lot of other places aren't open. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Look, I yeah. think, every, I think everybody will enjoy this interview and I think you'll also get people to get uh, something out of it as well. So let's just hear first from David as he explains how the first few weeks of the season have gone so far. February was 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 good, um, good. Uh, we had ten for the month of February, which which is, um, I suppose, probably a bit above average for the last few years. Um, like uh, it was, I suppose, ten better than anywhere else in the country. Really, um, the best February we had was two thousand and one, when we had twenty eight, one for every day of the month, right. Um I remember that particularly because uh, my wife, who is Australian, used to do a bit of fishing as well in those days when she was working there and we were actually living there. And um, she got a reminder. You know the way you get reminders on your phone? She got a reminder on the 14th of February that 21 years ago today, she got two fish, two springers in half an hour on the wind pool. Um, I think there were ten and a half and and nine and a half. You know, um, that particular day there were actually four caught. Three of them were caught by staff. Sarah caught two, and Michal Leiden from Tom had known from Cornamona there, um, um, caught another one. But that that was that was a bit of a freak. I mean, last year we only had three, um, so like ten is good. Um, quite often. Early in the year, they tend to go in kind of batches, you know. Um, you, 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 you'll get in a three or four in maybe five days, and then there might be nothing for for um, kind of a week or so. I mean, it's been a bit quieter now, we'll say, um, since about the 20th of um, February, the 22nd of February. Um, we've had two since then. Now, water's been nice. Conditions have been difficult some days, um, particularly with the the wind, you know. Um, there was a couple of days there where there was an upstream wind and it just makes it uh, very, very difficult, you know. Um, so, um, but all in all, like, we can't complain. It's a good start. Um, we were exceptionally busy. I suppose it was the busiest feb- February ever from a uh, rod effort perspective. What'd you put that down to, David? I'd say it must be post-COVID because we are ex- exceptionally busy till um, about the first week in June. You see, but I, I suppose a lot of people have to realise that um, the months of February, March, April, May, Ireland 
and particularly the West Coast, have a competitive advantage over the rest of the world as regards Atlantic salmon fishing. Because, all right, you have Scotland, but Scotland hasn't been great, we'd say, the last decade. Um, Iceland is closed. Norway is closed. Um, the east coast of America um, wouldn't be great uh, at the minute. So, and the, the best chance you have of catching Atlantic salmon this time of the year is the west coast front, you know. Um, well, not excluding, of course, the Blackwater, but uh, all the rest, um, like the best um, harvest fisheries, if you like, um, according to IFI, would be on the West Coast. Um, and as I, I often say to people, if you were we'll say, based in Castlebar or somewhere, uh, in the months of April and May, you have within an hour's drive, like the best of salmon fishing. You know, you have the Moy, you have Caramore, you have Newport, you have Delphi, um, the Salmon Weir, Ballasadere, you know, um, they're all prime spring salmon fisheries, you know, and um, I mean, they're, they're, they're as good as you get anywhere, you know, and um, it's actually a good point because I hadn't thought of it like that, David, in the sense of from an international perspective, like in yeah. terms of, you yeah. know, the other countries being closed. Do you think we're missing a trick maybe in that in terms of the marketing of it? Like maybe, you know, in terms uh, of- we, we would have quite a lot of overseas um, visitors now. We've quite a lot of Irish as well. Um, a lot of the smaller West Coast rivers, the other one I forgot was the Own Duff and the Own Moor. Um, um, a lot of the smaller West Coast rivers, um, they're kind of spate or semi-spate. So um, a lot of Europeans, now we would get quite a lot of Germans, right? But a lot of the Europeans like big rivers, you know, because they feel there's something about bloody using a big double-handed rod and firing these um, shooting heads. Um, it's totally different. It's basically chucking cast and chuck like and, and and the water does the work whereas the smaller rivers we'll say we'll say from Clifton north all the way to even Ballasadere um, a lot of them you have to work at them you know and you tend to vary your um tactics a lot more than what you would on the the bigger rivers you know so like someday you might use a copper tube and a small double handed rod the next day you could be using a switch rod and the next day you could be using a single handed because you have to match your equipment to suit the conditions you know and um, a lot of people um, kind of don't uh, recognize that fact and even um, uh, I mean, there would be a certain amount of what we call holding pools, you know, on, on a lot of those smaller rivers. And by their nature, they're deep, slow-moving pools. So the only way you're going to get fish in them is work to fly, you know. And a lot of people, I don't know if you'd call them lazy salmon fishermen, it's just what they like, they won't do that. Right, and it's not easy working fly with a, a double handed rod. You're better off with a, a good. So actually, hand. what you would say there, David? Let's say when you get guys who come in who are just used to fishing the bigger rivers, yeah, do they find do they find a problem adapting to the smaller ones? Uh, sometimes they do, yeah. And I mean, uh, like if they haven't spoken to me beforehand, they'll come with shooting heads. And to be honest with you, I. I fired them into the middle of the river, the shooting heads, not not the angler, but um, because they're totally uh, inappropriate. Um, continuous ones are all right, but I mean, um, the ones, the, the the jointed ones are a disaster because um, you can't strip. Well, you can, but every time you strip, it's going click, 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 and it comes in through the eyes of the rod, like, you know, and uh, you don't need it because you don't have to cast that far, you know, and... Um, we would tend to strip a fair bit. Um, like, um, quite a funny, well, 
can say a bit of a bit of anecdotal history. Um, Seamus Heenan, who the only reason I'm saying this because we just got a, a remembrance card from his wife there. He died last uh, February, and I don't know if you knew me. He was a box player as well, as one lad called him a melodian driver. But um, um, he was. Uh, an extremely efficient salmon angler, right? And he had learned from his father, right? And um, Jimmy, who used to sell tickets on Bundora, and the way they fished was basically a double-handed rod. Now, it mightn't have been the one rod. It could have been three different pieces put together, right? (laughs) (laughs) Floating line that was kind of cracked, so it was maybe an intermediate, you know? And... um, he would put about four feet of 18 pound maxima, <laughs> right? About four feet. And uh, the only fly he ever really fished was a badger tube tied on a piece of, um, he'd strip, pull the wire out of uh, a piece of, um, didn't matter whether it's the earth, the neutral, or the light, he'd just pull the wire out and you'd have the, the tube. So it'd be roadkill. It would whip the badger hair on that and now, it'd be rough as you know what, and some fellow as a shaving brush. And at the time when you had, we'll say, experts like Hugh Falkes and that, um, talking about salmon fishing, you cast a long line downstream and hold a loop in your hand. And when you mend and mend and mend, and when the fish takes, you let the line go. And uh, Seamus Heenan was the polar opposite because... Not alone, uh, he'd cast to about four o'clock, so relatively square. And not alone would he strip, but he'd also be lifting the point of the rod like that, right? And the badger tube would only be about an inch under the surface. And the first sign of life, uh, if that fish had it, the hook was going to be buried in him because he got the heave hole one way or the other, like, you know, and I think. The first year Peter Mandel came there, I think Seamus Heenan had 36 spring fish. It's obviously a different approach and a different mindset and different skill set needed, David. Is it what that is nowadays? It's basically what to do with the sunray shadow, except you tube on it. Do you know you cast relatively square and you strip like hell? Not a lot of difference. Um and just a funny part of that story, the reason I know. Um, it was 18 pound breaking strain Seamus used to use a gaff like and um, there was no fence along the river at that stage and uh, he had left the gaff in the boot of the car and the river was we'd say 20 yards away and uh, he would have been fairly cool now when he was playing the fish and um, he actually backed up to the boot of the car opened it and down again and with the gaff and landed the fish and uh, I said to him Jiz I said you must have strong now ah he said I don't know I said he said, it's the stuff I put on at the beginning of the year. And I said, what's that? He said, oh, 18 pound maximum. And that, like, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, um, it just works. I mean, definitely the small rivers are different, you know, and um, um, I suppose they vary a lot more depending on conditions. Um, Is it akin to not, not so much like trout fishing, but in the sense of there's a lot more thinking involved. You know, you have to work it out. There's a bit more of a problem that you have to work out the kind of solution to it. I suppose, I mean, the most important thing I would often say to people, um, and, and, and I mean, uh, you would say this to, I don't know about yourself, but Tom would know now what I'm talking about. Um, extremely successful, intelligent people. And I'd say um, you need fish sense. And they'd look at you like and say, what in the name of Jesus are you talking about? And I'd say to them, you have to think like a fish, you know. Um, um, simple example would say uh, the rock pool, which would be one of the favourite pools in it. Um, a lot of people might try it, try it again when they were walking up the road. Right? But if a person was inexperienced or they wouldn't even have to be inexperienced, eight times out of ten, what would they do? They'd get off the road at the bottom of the pool and walk up the bank. Like, I mean, hello, do you know? 
I mean, the water is crystal clear. Um, we put a kind of a ramp, and I, I remember when the lads were putting it in, they were going to put it halfway down, and I said, Jesus, no, I said, put it as far up as we can, because surely to God, if we put it too low down, like, you know, um, um, so you see, the water in the in the Delphi system is extremely clear, clear for a number of reasons, sir. Um, I suppose the geographical term is that they're Paternoster lakes, right? Which all of you religious men and you'll remember your Latin means a rosary bead, right? So you have a lake, river, lake, river. That's what they are. And so Dulac is 170 feet. So that's a big settling pond, right? And even though there's quite a bit of bog, most of it runs off rock. So the water tends to be extremely clear um, all the time. And the only time it gets dirty, if we get a strong east, northeast or north wind, the lower end of Finlock is quite shallow, turns up, and that'll make it dirty. Um, or if we have a drought for two months, um, it'll be dirty. And particularly this time of the year, there's almost a green hue off it. And um, people who haven't been there before, just are totally gobsmacked by the clarity of the water. And like, that's why you have to kind of, you know, keep your distance, stay well back. Like, you know, because um, like, it's only, it's only, well, common sense, you know. Um, and is, it's the kind of fishery you think that, that takes, takes a while to kind of maybe learn. Well, every fishery does. I mean, I, what I would say is um, most people would say, I don't know how much fishing experience you have, but I'd say Tom or myself um, would go to a river and have a fair idea, right, um, where to fish. And a lot of good anglers would. But there are always places that you won't know by looking at them. And um, the only way you will learn those is through experience and even when you think you know it all you won't there'll always be certain places that you'll still be learning about you know and um, um i mean i i would say people would often ask me like what makes a great well let's say a salmon angler i would say the most important well right you have a certain ability in casting okay um once you reach a certain level i mean uh certainly in the west of Ireland, it's no benefit to be casting uh, 50 meters none whatsoever all right um like once you reach a certain level after that um i think knowing your water is probably the most important factor right and then i suppose the ability to change um, tactics because I, I, I'm kind of the, the longer I'm at it, I would believe that um, salmon are kind of creatures of habit. Like, what we have to remember is they don't bloody eat. Like, you know, so how stupid is that in the first place trying to catch fish that doesn't eat? Like, you know, um, but um, because let's say there's a couple of pools where we can actually see the fish. And if you come along, we'll say, and put a, a fly in first, and they might move to it. Uh, the second time, they might go near it. Third time, no interest whatsoever. You put something different on, and you'll get a different reaction, right? By the time you get to later in the year, we'll say when they've seen thousand cascades something um uh fella tom knows well we'll say jeremy um he came there when he came there first he tried um rainbow tactics and he cleaned up right now he's an exceptional angler but um so he tried something that the salmon hadn't seen before and quite often that will work because it's something different for them, you know, and um, 
I mean, you even see, we'll say, on the bigger rivers, we'll say, where they allow spinning or shrimping or that. By the time you get to kind of uh, September, shrimp is no better than a fly, like, you know, because they've seen so many of the things that, you know, they're not really um, bothered by it, you know, or interested. Um, so um, I suppose, like... Um, just uh, like uh, knowing the water is probably the most important thing. And then the other thing is like that will vary uh, certain conditions in certain pools, um, you know, and I'm sure that you would find it the same on the lake that if you get a wind a certain way or the other thing is you might, you might look at a pool and you know instinctively that it looks fishy. Um, like Paddy Heenan, one of the old gillies in Delphi, used to have an excuse for every day. And because uh, we have a little um, uh, picture of him and it has all the excuses. And then the last one is, and some days Paddy would say, today we'll catch fish, you know. Um, <laughs> you, you nearly know by looking at it, you know. What is it, David, about Delphi that is so renowned about it like as a, is it the the location the scenery the fishery is it a combination of everything that just it's a combination of everything i think you know um it is um like i mean i suppose it, it it's i mean i suppose delphi is lucky in that um after the sea throat collapse um we were lucky enough to start ranching and we're still at it, right? And um I should say successfully ranching, okay, which is is you know, without it we'd be lost because um I mean like all the fisheries in Connemara, um like they were fabulous, fabulous sea throat fisheries. I mean, um for those who didn't fish them or who haven't fished them in their prime, I mean, every now and again, you get a kind of a blip, you know, and, uh, but I mean, what we had before 1985 is actually, I mean, it would literally blow your mind now um, as to how good it was, you know, um, I suppose if you got it, if you if you read him, Kingsman Moore is a man my fish, you might get a you kind of get a sense of that, do you? Like in terms of yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But funny that Gilly I was telling you about, um, Paddy used to actually Gilly for Kingsman Moore, and uh, one of the things Paddy said is there was more fish in the book than there were in the boat. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, um, you don't hear that one often. No, no, no. I mean, like. We ourselves, I used to fish with my father and two priests, and um, I mean, it, it really, uh, like 30, 40 in a day wasn't unusual, you know, I mean, I wouldn't dream of it nowadays, you know, I mean, I'd love if if you could get back to it, but you wouldn't, I mean, in those days, uh, like, I don't know if you were fishing that long ago, but Tom will tell you, if, if, if you... Um, the way it was with us, um, if you last two or three fish in a row, well, you'd nearly get thrown out of the boat. The, the idea of actually putting something back was was like you'd be excommunicated altogether, like you know. Um, and uh, but but I mean, I, I, like if if I wasn't back with them, we'd say today, my job this evening was to collect. Because basically we would have fished whatever caught sea throat and and the natural daddies were were really good most days. And so if I wasn't fishing today, my job would have been to collect daddies. No, you you wouldn't be going anywhere unless you had two hundred. You know. A lot of them. Yeah, you just have to collect them all and sometimes put them down in a matchbox. Yeah. Yeah. You could put yeah. them in a matchbox as well. I remember doing that. Yeah, but yeah. isn't that it's amazing? Like we're talking, you're talking about it there, David. Like basically, it was sea trout then. Yeah, yeah. Because you you fished. I never fished 
Delphi for the sea trout. I know you had fished it prior to them. Yeah, yeah. Can't check. yeah, yeah. I don't know because we, my dad and myself, we used to always fish Ina. That was yeah. the one we went to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so you'd yeah. have fished it. But like, if you were relying on the sea trout now for there, no, no. it'd be a no no, wouldn't it? No, it would, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the, the odd year now and again, we get a kind of a, um, you know, it comes up a bit. And, um, um, like I, I have plenty of lads that if it's good enough, would um, would come back and fish it. Um, but I mean, I'm not going to ring Irish lads. Um, in other words, I'm not going to tell them a cock and bull story. Um, yeah. I only tell them what's there. And people that know me know me long enough now that I'm not going to talk bull um, because there's no point. Um, um, I mean, get away with the once, David. Well, um, I mean, you might get away with with with, with um, our uh, American friends, but um, definitely Paddy doesn't work too long with Paddy, like you know. Um, but uh, no, so then once they, I mean, the, the the ranching thing was kind of, I think it was a combination of Peter Mantle, um, bearing in mind that he had. Like transformed the place from a rundown, as you said, a rundown derelict building into like a fabulous country house, right? And the cottages as well. And then uh, it was extended, but before that, um, basically, um, he was in talks with, um, I think there may have been help from some of the uh, German shareholders as well, and um, Ken Whelan or the Marine Institute. I think it was the SRA then, some research agency, mm. and Department of the Marine, which would have been, I think, John Brown at the time. And um, so uh, I suppose it was kind of seen as um, a way of, um, I suppose, kind of allowing for the demise of the sea throat, if you like. And... Um, um, so when 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 that was started, it was, I mean, the main man that set it up there was um, Martin Butler. He was there at the time. I wasn't there. Um, and when did you come in, actually? Sorry. Not 92, 92. When did you come in? 92. So no. Martin, it was Martin there first. It yeah. was at the start of the hatchery. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and um, uh, the first release was... Um, first big release was 92. Now, I think at that stage there was some Delphi fish that apparently were from one hen um, that they got up Glanamora and uh, uh, apparently as the days went on she got bigger and bigger and bigger um, but she was supposed to be about uh, I don't know, 20 pounds or something like that but, um, but that first so they had some, we'll say Delphi stock, um, but they also brought in smolts from the SRA. And at that stage, SRA, Marine Institute, Furnace, whatever you like to call it, um, they would have been a, a line-bred, ranched strain, extremely successful, right, for one sea winter, right? I mean, if you, you, you get the terms right, anglers will call them, Springers and grills. Your scientists will call them MSWs or, or two sea winters and, and one sea winters. Um, the SRA was by far and away the most successful at producing one sea winter fish, right? Now, um, the ones that were released from our place were probably even more successful than the SRA itself. Um, I think it was 94. There was one particular batch um, where there was a return rate of 14% to the coast, right? Um, bearing in mind that the, I think the, the, the return rates for, um, this is from the, the smolts, the outgoing smolts, in the early 80s on wild fish was about 20%. Um, they reckon now it's down to between 3 and 5%, okay? But um that particular batch was 14%. They were 
uh, SRA Burr Shulfish. Um, so, um, so we had Delphi, we had Burr Shul, and we had we also had Kong when we started off, and um, we didn't keep Kong that long because it fell between two stools. Um, in other words, their springers were a bit in later, and their builds were relatively big, and because the springers were a bit later, the drift nets were already gone. So quite a lot of them would have been um, exploited at sea, you know, and um, um, so uh, we dropped them, and then, um, I mean, 97 and 98 were two uh, crazy years. Um, I suppose it's a combination of a lot of factors, there was good fishing weather, and in 97 there was 750 or something like that and in 98 there was a thousand of 43 um which was i suppose really too much i mean uh i remember one particular uh Kalolian gentleman who was a tea planter in kenya came up and uh um I think he had five or six fish in an afternoon in the river, and he said, it's like bloody mackerel fishing, he said. Um, so, um, Shame on you. <laughs> Can I say, David, what was the um, reaction like at the time to the idea of a hatchery? Like, was there a lot of opposition to it, or was it kind of like... No, not at that time, no. No, 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 no. Everybody was... Um, I mean, there was quite a lot of them at, time, at that time. I mean, there are very few now. Um but at that you, time, you touched on something there, actually, David. I just want to go back. You said yeah. a success, yeah, and that brings into it. You said a successful ranching uh, yeah. program, which obviously, and I'm not aware of them. Obviously, there was a few that didn't weren't that didn't work well. Well, I mean, was there? You see, the, 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 we would have a number of advantages. Number one, we're the sole owner. Right. That, that's that's vitally important. Like you know. Uh, I mean, like, I suppose nowadays is probably a lot of people saying, well, why can't we do what they do? I mean, um, we're down now, we only have Delphi fish, the Borshul fish are gone because we stopped them. Um, we were, Peter was coming under increasing pressure from, I suppose, the Marine Institute and Department of the Marine um, over the use of, of um Burshul fish because they were deemed um, genetically different, right? Um, which they obviously are, but I mean, uh, like, like you'd get lots of people to argue various different points on that one. Um, but uh, so we now, like, the reason they stopped them was the drift net stopped in 2006. Right. So everybody in the country, bar none, would have told you that there'd be so many salmon, you'd be able to walk across every river without getting your feet wet. You know, they all said that. And that hasn't happened. Um, uh, why? I'd say this, it must be, it's, it's something to do with the marine because What's out there is so big that we don't, I mean, we don't really know. Like the freshwater environment has not changed that much, if anything, particularly in a small place like ours. Um, if anything, the freshwater environment is better now than it was probably 40 years ago, because um, you all remember, like if you went into any town, Ballon Robe had one, my hometown of Enniscorthy had one, a bacon factory. Okay. I think Ballinrobe, did Ballinrobe have a bacon factory? Casabar certainly did. Casabar did. I can't remember whether... All those factories, blood, everything. Where did it go? Straight to the nearest water course. That doesn't happen anymore, right? So from that point, the freshwater environment is much better. It's what's going on at sea. I mean, there's been lots of... Um, I suppose, research into it. And uh, I mean, they reckon quite a lot of fish have been caught as a bycatch of, um, as bycatch, you know, of super trawlers, um, mackerel fishing fleets. Smolts, 
have been returned, uh, when I say smolts, post smolts, we'll say um, October, um, have been caught in mackerel fishing fleets of Norway. Um, you know, so um, that happens. But we're down to the stage now where we only have um, Delphi fish. So we have one sea winter, two sea winter. Okay. And if we want to produce two sea winter fish, we, I don't say we have to, but we're far better off using two sea winter uh, broodstock and grills, the same, you know. But and what, what a lot of anglers don't realize is that. Um, 80% of two sea winter fish are actually female, right? Um, grills would be about 65% male, okay? Um, because when we were crossing in the hatchery, our grills would be one-to-one, -one, in other words, one male, one female. Um, with the multi-sea winter or two sea winter, we'll use um, one male for four females because that's your 80% ratio, okay? Um, and um, um, But definitely, and, and the cutoff point we would find is 80%, sorry, 80 centimetres for male, right? The fish has to be over 80 centimetres to be a, a spring fish or a two winter, and about 70 for the female. Now, just a... a small example um you will get under that like i remember one year we had two fish of 78.5 all right and one of them was 10 and a half pounds okay one was nine and a half the one that was 10 and a half was a uh, small head extremely pretty the nine and a half pound fish had a big head ugly looking yolk and well we knew no, they were both tagged, but I basically would have told you by looking at them. Um, the 10 and a half pound fish was actually a one sea winter or grills, right? You know, um, the what you have to remember is the two sea winter or spring fish will have been in the freshwater three or four months longer, right? And the, the other thing about um, the 80% female, you cannot tell. I wouldn't even tell by looking at a fresh salmon, whether it's male or female. I'd make a good guess at it, but just because it has a kite down here, that does that does not mean it's a male because 80% of them are female. You know, um, I mean the number of people I've seen say, Oh, that's a that's a male, because we we would have always specified that we cleaned the fish um, when we um, um, weigh them and measure them and, and that, you know, and um, we've always cleaned them. And um, that's why we know that 80% of um, multi-sea winter fish are female. Um, and uh, um, so, but uh, that was it. And like, um, it's still, we're still like if we didn't have the hatcher, we'd be we'd be lost. I mean, we have eleven fish caught now; ten of them are ranched. You know, now all wild fish go back, okay, um, unless it's your first ever. Right. Yeah, you've got you've got to you actually have to dispatch the hatchery fish, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. because basically it's to keep the genetic integrity of the system now. Some people would say, well, what's the difference between uh, their, their Delphi origin originally? But scientists will argue that they're, they're, they're a ranched strain. I mean, um, like, what, what I often find, um, I don't know if you find as well, but between the anglers and, we'll say, the scientists or the powers that be, um, you have two extremes and there's, there's no, um, there's no middle ground. Okay. And like 
sometimes you'd feel like saying, Jesus, will you ever just uh, just look and think about it? Like, you know, because that simple thing, like uh, we had Glenda Powell there a while back and uh, she didn't even know that 80% of um, multi-sea winter, two-sea winter fish are, are, are female, you know? Um, like, and a lot of anglers don't. And uh, the old tale of... Um, you catch a henfish in in September, put her back, um, and you kill the the male. Well, that's the opposite of what you should actually do, you know. And um, David, tell me about um, just your own background, because obviously, like you've huge wealth of knowledge there. Just listening to you talk in terms of the salmon and the hatchery and everything. Um, yeah. What's your own background, and how did you get involved with Delphi? Well, um, basically. <laughs> um, I suppose you could say I've been fishing since I was about, like Tom, since I was about four years of age. I was probably in a boat before I could walk. Um, um, and um, my father was originally from Galway, but he he had um, an aunt who was a Somerville who lived at the ferry bridge, right? And they used to actually run the ferry. And uh, he had an uncle then that actually built the ferry bridge. But so he used to spend his summers um, at the ferry bridge with this aunt, uh, Somerville. And um, he actually fished uh, commercially during the war for eels. Um, so uh, I suppose from, as I say, from before I could even walk, I would have been dragged from, we all were from pillar to post, like, you know, and um, um, most, like nearly all our summers were spent um, in, in let's say, Clonbor, um, and we would have fished kind of all over. Um, and played football, don't forget the Clonbor <laughs> minors. <laughs> they have they... played together for a couple of games. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, that's a long time ago. That's a long time ago, yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, so, um, I mean, I was, I was, I would have loved, loved the fishing, and uh, um, and um, I uh, basically I did a degree in business management, and um, um, went to France then for a few years, and I came back to Ireland, and I was looking for kind of work, and uh, I had done a couple of summers in Delphi. Um, well, I knew it well from the time we were fishing it, you know, and um, I'd done a couple of summers there in 87 and 88, and um, uh, Peter was looking for somebody for the summer in 92, and um, I started, and I'm there since. Um, so, uh, did I have any knowledge in um, as regards uh, hatchery? No. Um, but... Um, you just pick it up as you you go along, and um, we've got a lot of uh, you know advice from different people and that you know. Um, let's say Martin was there when I was there. Mike Lydon was there. Um, <coughs> he would have known a lot, and then we would have got quite a lot of help from um, the well, the Salmon Research Agency or um, Marine Institute, um, Deirdre Carter particularly, um, and. Tom McDermott um, on the, the tagging. And I mean, a lot of things on the hatchery side you would learn uh, kind of as you go along, you know. But I have to say, do you think, David, like I remember me having met Peter Mantle, done an interview with him, and I spent a couple of hours in his company, real larger than life, gregarious character, that you really get that sense of like he drove that vision of Delphi that he had. Yeah. And like, you know, every obstacle, whether it was the sea trout collapse, whatever, the gold mine appearing behind, that, whatever, any potentially, you just, you just had this larger than life kind of approach to things that like, would Delphi be where it is today? Or would, you know, if it wasn't for somebody like Peter's no. vision? No, definitely not. You know, no, no, um, no, it wouldn't. I mean, well, I mean, like, was it any better previously than any other place? Probably. I mean, the only difference was, um, I suppose, it always had uh, a good um, MSW or 
two cemental component. Um, I was going to ask you that actually because I know John Junior actually now was a hatchery fish. He won nineteen and a half pounds a couple of years ago. What what's like what's the record there, Dave? Twenty four. So there's so. like there's always a good chance of double figure fish there, isn't there? Fairly good, yeah, yeah. Um, funny, we never came across anything huge. Uh, I think the biggest, you see, we've had them a meter, right, at, at broodstock time, but that'll be a male. But what you have to remember about the males, and a lot of people don't realise this, is when you see them in December, it has the head the size of a bloody Labrador. But the head... Just, just gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, let's say a meter would have been a fish. Well, that would have probably been over. It wasn't at the time because we waited, but um, it would have been probably over twenty pounds. But I did find a a, a dead kelp once um, down the bottom of the river, and I whether it was wild or ranched, I don't know because like it was that much to gone that far, and it was kind of eaten, partially eaten as well. Um, it was 113 centimetres when I measured it, right? So that would have been pretty big, you know. That would have been the biggest fish I had seen, you know. Um, um, we've had a couple over 20 in the last kind of 10 years, um, two over 20, and there were a few closer, including John Juniors. Um, and actually, just there, because it was, and brings me on to it, like, are they from the river or from the lake? Actually, because we've discussed it there, but primarily the, the places to fish are Finloch, which is the lower lake, and the river. Is it? Mm. Yeah. 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 And what about, do any of the big fish, like what about Duloch and Glencullen? Yeah. They don't really come into the equation, do they? Uh, Duloch, yes. I mean, um, um, we, we would have... Um, a broodstock time, we would have um, always tried a few hauls on Duloc. And um, I remember one year, like, we would actually catch, we didn't this year, but we'd say one year and three, we might catch one or two fresh fish in December. So, in other words, sea lice fish that wouldn't spawn till the following December, right? And um, just on that point, it reminds me now of something. Um, an English angler called um, Lawrence Locke, and it seemed just the first time it happened. We got a fish on the 6th of December that was a uh, ranch fish, and um, quite unusual because when it closed its mouth, it was slightly off, just ever so slightly offset. And we reckon the fish was about 14 pounds. And uh, we're back anyway. And um, 6th of December. And on the 27th of February, Lawrence Locke um, caught a fish in the stream, 13 pounds, 15 ounces. And when it closed its mouth, it was just slightly offset. And there's no doubt in my mind that that was the same fish. Now, if an angler looked at that, he'd say, oh, that's in a week or two. Well, it wasn't like it was in uh, over two months, you know, and uh, nearly three months, actually. And the reason being that in the early part of the year when the te water temperatures are cold, they go off a lot slower. Whereas if you get a grills, right, that comes in in June and then the water temperatures go up, they tend to go off a lot quicker than, let's say, I mean, the spring fish would stay relatively silver, I'd say up to kind of May. I mean, even the that comes in in February, January, February, you know. Um, so um, they do, uh, uh, like, they, 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 um, Temperature affects them quite a lot, you know. You were saying there, did that fish, did that that fish with the offset, did that come out of Duloc, did you say? No, we did we did get one up in Duloc that was bigger. No, uh, right. It was a wild fish. They reckon, the lads reckon it was about 20 pounds. Um, oh, right. Now, yeah, there was, um, 
There was one fish. Uh, I think it could have been the year there was a couple caught. There was one fish caught up at Dulac that was around the 20 as well. I mean, they weren't sure because they only had a measure. They put it back, um, you know. Um, so um, they had a picture, and but I mean, it's very, very difficult to tell from the picture, you know. Um, um, like, if you have a, a good measure, you have some kind of idea, you know, um, because you'd be to within, we'd say, you'd be to within a pound anyway, you know, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, so <coughs> we do get, um, I mean, historically, there would have been quite a lot. I mean, I remember um, Paddy Heenan, it's a great, one of the great old pictures was Paddy Heenan with a fella uh, called Sir Ronald Win Wingate. And I think it was in the 60s. And um, I remember this is a little um, wire-haired Jack Russell as well in the picture. And Paddy was there holding the two fish and your man had the rod and a fag, probably a fucking sweet afton or something. And um, I remember Paddy saying to me, like he said, oh, he said, he said, one, one was 21 and a half and the other was 18 and a half, right? And he said, they were both caught on a jock scot, uh, one at the sunk rock, and one at cross point. And he said, the wind, I remember, he said, as clear as day, he said, the wind was west. He said, and uh, the 18 and a half pounder was in a while and he fought like a demon and the 21 and a half pounder wasn't that long at all, you know. So, but of course, they would have probably were using a, a double-handed rod, you know. Yeah. But, uh, anyway. Do you get to fish much now, David? Do you get to fish much? Uh, <laughs> no. Um, well, you know yourself now, uh, COVID, uh, <laughs> I did because there was nobody else. Um, and um, I suppose uh, the one thing I taught us was really to appreciate what we have. Um, and, and we were, I suppose, blessed and lucky uh, to be in a pandemic in such a place, you know, um, you you had the lake on your doorstep. I had to go to work every day, and um, I mean, of course, I was going to fish because somebody had to fish, you know. Uh, and uh, but this year so far, I've probably done about um, an hour and a half, I'd say, maximum, um, because I'd normally do a little bit in February, but as I say, this year in February, um, it was all gone, you know, um, everything. So, but um, anyway. And just finally, David, um, like obviously, you know, things have started well for you. And like you were saying there, even at the start, kind of you're pretty busy all the way up to the summer. So you're hopeful that 2022 is going to be a good year. Um, any kind of plans in terms of kind of for Delphi itself going forward for the future? Or is it just keep doing what you're doing? If it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Well, keep doing what we're doing, you know. I mean, um, um, like... It, like it's 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 I suppose the prime attraction of the place is as a fishery, you know. Um, like the tourist season in in the West Ireland is quite short, May, June, July, August. You know, or I mean, the the peak time is June, July, August, particularly July, August. Um, you know, and um, um, whereas. With the fishing, well, normally the lodge wouldn't be open in February, but um, cottages are open, and um, but you still have seven months, March, April, March to September, you know, and um, so I'd say just keep going. I mean, um, if we can still produce the fish, you know. Um, the way we are I mean that's good enough because people will say to you oh you need to, you need to market fishing but um, the only thing that markets fishing is fish <laughs> you know um, you'll get away the first time without fish 
but you won't get a wet the second time without fish, you know. And um, um, that's why it's it's. Uh, I mean, I'll 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 put it like this: um, if 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 I want an honest appraisal of what the fishing like is on carb, I'll ring Tom Dock, you know, because I know he's going to tell me the truth. <laughs> Do you know? Um, if somebody says to me, what's the fishing like there? I mean, when you're at it that long, you're going to, you'll know certain people and, and you'll wing them um, and you'll get an honest answer because um, I'm not going to tell somebody lies just to put, you know, money in my pocket because that'll only come back and bite you, you know? Well, look, you don't need any lies anyway, judging by the numbers that keep coming back anyway, like, you know. David, thanks a million for joining us and um, continuous success for, for the season to come. Thank you very much. That's great. Thanks to David McAvoy for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And plus you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mann. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.